Oh, that was a class right there. That's a class right there. Listen, 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 listen to the words. He said, my, my hallelujah. My hallelujah. If I have a hallelujah, hallelujah, hallel means praise, Jah means God, hallelujah, praise God. If I have a hallelujah, then it belongs to you. Alright? Yeah. If I have a praise God, then you're the God that I'm praising is what the song is saying. So be careful when you walk around hollering, hallelujah, because you need to make sure that it belongs to, to him. Yeah. My hallel, my praise belongs to you, God. And the and, bef and, and the beginning of that was, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That if you don't, that's scripture. That's scripture. That's just straight out of the scripture. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me. Everything that's in me, blessing the Lord. Praise is what I do. My goodness. Like I said, that was school. Thank you for that, brother. That was, yeah, meaningful songs. Again, I'm going to ask the Lord to mess you up and let that song stay in your spirit all week long. Yeah, all week long. I want you to pull up Wednesdays singing my hallelujah. Yeah. When you're flipping your eggs on Thursday. My hallelujah belongs to, to you. Getting ready for your weekend on Friday. Remind yourself, my hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I want, I'm, I'm serious. Because if you focus like that, then you're probably going to have a good day. A good, a good day. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity for us to just be here together. How many of y'all glad just to be in the house of the Lord one more time? Yeah. I got a friend who recently was talking all week long about celebrating at the end of the week their birthday. Excited about it. And naturally, when you see somebody excited, you get excited. If you're normal, you get excited for them. They, and I hope they have a great time at the birthday celebration, whatever it is. Now, we weren't, we just acquaintances at work. It, we, I didn't have to be invited to the birthday party to celebrate with them their birthday. Life doesn't have to be that way. Well, she walked into her birthday party and had a stroke. Yes. Anything can happen. Our plans don't always come to fruition. Things happen. My hallelujah belongs to you. It means a lot when you're struggling with something bad. And she's a believer. And so we 
interceding and praying on her behalf and asking the Lord to strengthen her and bring healing to her body. She's a young woman, young woman, young child, a young child. But I'm telling you, we make a lot of plans. Don't stop making plans. Just ask the Lord to let your plans line up with his plans. Yeah. yeah. Started a few weeks ago. Pray for him. Pray for him. If I don't tell your name, just say, pray for the young woman who's struggling, Lord. That fit everybody, won't it? <laughs> we started a few weeks ago talking about um, the judges and what a wonderful book it is for us to be learning from. And we started talking about why there was a need for judges in the first place. As we found out in the second chapter of, of the book, David, there arose a generation in the land that didn't know the Lord, didn't know what he had done, didn't know his mighty works. And because of that, the Lord had need to continuously replenish leadership. As long as the leaders were with them, they did fine. But they would have peace for a period of time, the Israelites I'm referring to. But when the Lord was no longer with them, when the Lord was no longer, I mean, when the, when the Lord's person was no longer with them, they would slide back into their behavior, pattern. And the Lord would allow their enemies, would allow their enemies to become stumbling blocks for them, Fiatha, so that they would come back to him. Yeah. This is not unusual. This is, this is, this is an example of parental love. This is, we do this. We do this now, don't we? When we have children, we tell them we want them to behave a certain way, and they, they don't behave that way. We start withdrawing favors and, and protection, and you can't go outside, and no, you can't have dessert after dinner, and no, you can't get the keys to the car. And that, that's what we do. That's all the law was saying. And, and, and in so doing, our goal is to make them behave in the way that we think they ought to behave. And they'll come back to us and they'll say, I'm sorry, mama. And then you say, okay, don't do that no more. And then here the keys. That's what they want you to do. And, that's, and so the problem with that is that we learn that game. And we learn to apologize so we can strategize and get what we want. And because we are in that space, it almost, watch this now, makes it seem sometimes, Rich, like we're using our parents. Makes it, makes it seem that way sometimes. We're just doing what, what we got to do to get what we want, satisfy our needs and our wants. And we're not sincere with it. One would argue that if we were sincere, Robin, we wouldn't keep messing up in the first place. We would just stay in one space. Life is harder than that. 
And so God started sending these leaders called judges. Wipe out of your mind the current notion of what a judge is. And think of the judges more of, of, of a governor, a mayor, a leader, who also was a, a warrior. Because <laughs> these judges could fight. And so we've been cycling through. Uh, we first told you about that second generation that came through. They necessitated us having this. We're calling this sermon series Flawed Heroes. It's flawed Heroes. And the reason we're calling it Flawed Heroes is because I want you to dispel the notion that people who can do good things, heroic things, are perfect people. Because if they're perfect people, then that makes you think you can't be used of God. Because none of us are perfect, nor will we ever be. There's only one who ever lived that was perfect, on this side of glory anyway. And so God can use anybody at any time if you're faithful and willing. And it doesn't mean, Marche, we don't have doubts, as we've seen from some of these leaders. And as we cycle through them, you know, we talked about Deborah, the only woman mentioned in the list of judges. Now, I, I'm not going to go through in the sermon series every single one of the judges, there are just too many of them, and some of them are more notable than the others. Deborah, of course, was one of them. She's a bad something. She, 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 was a, she was a leader. She was the leader that men would follow. In fact, men said they wouldn't go, watch this now, in a, in a male-dominated society, the men said, we won't go to war unless you go with us. That ought to tell you something about how bad Deborah was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we talked about Gideon. Gideon, who never thought that he was enough. His, his whole, his self-esteem was, was so low. And God had to fortify his self-esteem to bring out his faith. That makes sense to you. He had to, he had to continuously convince him. And, and, and the good thing about Gideon, and I want to give you this from him. If you learn anything from Gideon, it's okay to ask God to show you what he wants you to do. It's okay to ask him that. It's okay to say, Lord, can you give me a sign? All right? Having that dialogue with God is okay based on Gideon's example. And then today we're going to move to another one whose name is famous, but he is the most famous one who had the most promise who, who fizzled out. Fizzled out. Yeah. Born with promise, died with problems. That's this one. And you know his name. If I say it, his name is Samson. Samson. Samson, the story is so dynamic, it's going to be a two-parter, okay? Because having Samson and, and raising Samson was one thing, and then his life is a whole different story. We talked about um, last week for Mother's Day, it's ironic, we talked about a woman who was barren. And she was barren because the Lord closed her womb. The Bible said that. The Lord closed her womb. And the, the, the Lord closed her womb 
ultimately so that it would be a glorious testimony for him. All right. But as we start learning about Samson's heritage, we find that his mother, too, was barren. All right. His mother is a nameless mama. Daddy's name is given, Manoah, but mama's name is never given. So we're going to call mama Wamanoah. <laughs> All right. All right. Manoah and Wamanoah. All right. His mama and daddy, they, they never list her name. Yeah. But Samson's parents, y'all, didn't suffer anything. This is what I want you to understand about the reality of this message is that they are not experiencing anything that our parents aren't experiencing today. Today. There is no pristine society that you can raise children in where everything is all right and there are no problems going on. They may not look exactly like the problems you see every day, but there's still consequences and circumstances that come about by not being effective parents, all right? Even when God gives you a special dose of grace, you still can have problems. And so we're in Judges, we're primarily in chapter 13, chapter 13 of Judges. Yeah. And I love the way the writer focuses us in on the problem from the very beginning of chapter 13 we know what we're dealing with yeah verse 1 says and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines watch this for 40 years 40 years so every time they call him the apostasies, the six or seven apostasies, every time he raised up one, they do well, they stay in that space for a little while, and then when that person was died, they go back into their old ways. And here they are. And, and each time, Mason, the, the, the punishment from God got worse and worse. Because he's trying. He's trying. All right. This time, I'm not going to let you go outside, all right? Next time, you can't have no dessert. That's what we do as parents, right? Next time, you're not going to the football game this weekend. You start taking things that start meaning. You better not touch that Xbox or, or that PlayStation. You better not touch it. Give me that Switch. You're not going to have it none this week. Bring me the iPhone. You know, we start doing things. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That we think increasingly get your attention. Oh, he on punishment for six years. That what you tell. Why, why, why he sitting over there in the corner not watching TV? He on punishment for six years. Absolutely ineffective. All right? Because you ain't doing nothing but punishing yourself. I remember, I remember my mama used to tell me, uh, don't get on the phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So that means when the phone rings, I'm not answering it. It don't matter because it ain't like only my friends call on the phone. You know, so when your sisters and brothers and grandmama and granddad and them calling, I ain't got to get the phone. So I'm sitting up there, the phone ring, ring, 
Ring. She looking at me and said, why you didn't get the phone? I said, you told me I couldn't get on the phone, mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She about to lost her mind on me. But you know what I meant. All I'm saying is it left room for interpretation. Yeah, she straightened me out. She straightened me out and I told Sham, answer the phone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the problems come about because God is increasingly turning up, if you will, the heat on them and trying to get their attention. So in this space, and now in this space, we have the Philistines who are in charge of just about everything. They're some mean folk. They're called the Sea People because they have established their leadership and rule. Let me give you some history and some cultural context. They've, they've established their leadership and rule on the sea areas. All right, they, they, they control shipping, which means they control, if you control shipping in those days, you have a good handle on trade, which means people can't bring supplies in, people can't bring, bring the things in that, that increase your quality of life. The Israelites were living in the hill country in the hill country, they were going to have trouble growing plants and getting the things they needed for day-to-day -day living, which meant they had to have stuff shipped in to them. And if the Philistines, Philistines control the shipping, that means they control you too. But some, two other things the Philistines control. One, they had perfected the ability to make iron. They knew how to make iron. Yeah, at that time, they knew how to smelt the ore and make iron objects, which means they could make protection from war and they could make war instruments. That gave them a significant advantage over the people who they were dealing with. The other thing they had is they had, watch this, at that time, a sophisticated form of government. They operated cooperatively with the other Philistine cl uh, clans up and down the uh, the shore way, which meant that they worked together. Israelites couldn't pick one off and make an alliance with one because all of them worked cooperatively. So they had a good government, they had good resources, and it blocked the Israelites, boxed them in. They were struggling. And they were struggling. In the backdrop of this, they were mean. They weren't good people. They were idol worshipers. And because of that, being a, a, a believer in the one true God, as the Israelites were, was difficult for them because everything around them was idol worship. Tough situation. So the, the community was tough. The environment was tough. The government was, was tough. Let me see. We got stuff going on. We, when, I was in, when I was in school, I never heard the, the saying school shooting. That's not a terminology that was ever even noise. You, wouldn't, you couldn't have put those two things together. And in the last 10, 15 years, not maybe a little longer, that's a common statement. Think about where we are. When we start pointing the finger at the Philistines and how they lived in that cultural context, we had school shootings. I used to tell kids all the time when I was in court, Go to the library. You can't get in trouble at the library. Go to church. Nothing bad ever happens to you at church. And, 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 and everything that I used to say has been made of no effect. People get hurt, library, people get hurt. 
church. This is the environment that, that, that folk are having to raise children in right now. It's a tough, tough environment. Um, you, 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 you really never heard pornography spoken about. It wasn't something you talked about, you know, it was, it was whispered. You can't go online now. You, you, you can't avoid it. Even in common things, even in common things, in fact, you can look at some of the normal things in life and see how that kind of living has bled into stuff. Look at some of the prom outfits. Oh, I, I, I ain't got no reason not to say it. I ain't got no reason not to say it. I mean, much of it is just inappropriate and sanctioned by parents. They, you know, they buy it. <laughs> they buy it. It's just not appropriate. And I don't know what you advertising when you graduate from high school, but, but you certainly are advertising something and saying something about yourself at that point. Yeah. There's a difference in glamour and cheap. You can spend a lot of money on cheap, and it's not glamorous. But we don't know the difference. Why? Because the worlds have blended. The idolatry, the cultural confusion is so heavy on us, we don't have a right way to do things. Across America and, and really around the whole world, the idea of having moral standards is problematic. You got to be, people call you holier than thou because you want to raise, you want to live a certain way. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this now. And if you say you're going to raise your child a certain way, you got to fight the folk around you. That, that child ain't going to be ready for the world. That, 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 that child ain't going to know nothing. They gonna, he's going to be an oddball. She, she, she won't be able to fit in with other kids. That's exactly what I want. Morality is situational. Yeah, I can be good while folk looking at me. That's not morality. You do what feels right to you under the circumstances, and, and I'll do what feels right to me, and anybody who questions me is out of line, including your parents. Nobody has a right to challenge me on how I'm choosing to do things because it's my choice. Cause a lot of friction by simply asking questions of is this the way you really want to go? And so most people just say nothing. And there's a way unto man that seems right. But the end of it, y'all, is destruction. Plenty of people have tried those things and they don't work. The bottom line is we need one another to help stay focused and on the straight and narrow. And Every good idea that comes up is not a good idea. It's not even a new idea. It's just new to you. And so to many of us, we feel like we're living in a world that's really gone crazy. We're raising our, our children in it. And so for that, honestly, I'm so prayerful for this generation of young folk who are having to raise kids in this environment and the things that go on. You can't hardly say anything to anybody's child correctively anymore. My kids are always jumping on me because if I see a young person doing something that I think is out of line, the me and me wants to say something. 
wants to say something, want to correct them. And these kids today, they don't take it. They'll bite back. They'll bite back. Yeah, I sat up in the barbershop a couple of days ago and saw this kid who was in there, and he was excited. He was a kid like any other kid, and somebody had given him some money. And you know that money be burning a hole in your pocket. And he had a new wallet too, Mason. And he was he kept on pulling out his wallet and putting that money in there. He probably counted that money about 20 times. <laughs> while I'm sitting up there looking at him like it was gonna grow, like he would while he was looking at it. And so I saw him back in the back of the barbershop, um, and he kept on with the money. And then he got up and walked out. I didn't know where he went. He we on Fourth Avenue now. It's the middle of the day, but it's still 4th Avenue, and he's about 10 or 12, and he walk around, and I, so I turn around, I'm standing by the door, because it's really time for me to go, um, but I, the conversation was kind of good, so I was still, I was still uh, learning. <laughs> and I turn around, and I see the boy, I just see the boy coming through the door, and as he's coming through the door, he's got the wallet in one hand, and the whole stack of money in the other. And so, without even thinking, Michelle, I say, my man, put your money in your wallet. Don't walk around with all that money in your hand. That's normal. This, this kid say, what make you think I'm trying to show everybody? This, this is what he said to me. And so after I caught myself, <laughs> after I caught myself from reaching out and to reach out and touch, Somebody child. Yeah, the, the other men in the shop raised up and said, hey, man, put that money up. Don't be talking back to nobody like that. The barber even stopped cutting hair so he could tighten the little dude up. He said, go there and sit down somewhere. But the little boy, my point is he was still fussing at me for saying something to him. He sat down with his little friend who was sitting there fussing at me still. He still don't understand that he was doubling down on dumb by showing his money out there and fussing back at grown folk. You can't say nothing to them. And, and the adult who was there with him wasn't. He was completely unfocused on the phone in the back. He didn't see any of the exchange. Yeah, which means he would have come to the exchange asking the child what happened. Yeah, so I got to learn how to keep my mouth shut under those circumstances because things happen really, really quickly. And look, the classic lesson for the little boy is to walk down the street and one of them folk down there that ain't ate in about three days going to snatch that money out of his hand and he ain't going to see him no more. And then he's going to be standing out there crying, which is going to happen. That's going to happen. Yeah, it's just, that's just how life is. So. Anyway, Samson's parents, let me get out of here this quick. Samson's parents were told, we're going to give you, the Lord sees the problem of the Israelites and is going to bring a deliverer through your house. First, the angel comes to, to mama, Wamanoah. She gets a visitation from the angel. Um, and it starts out in verse 3, and the angel of the Lord appealed unto the woman. And said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. 
All right? No doubt about it. No question about it. You're going to have a baby even though we know you've been buried. And then he says, now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean, any clean, any unclean thing. Forgive me. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be, in this word in verse 5, a Nazarite. A Nazarite unto God from the womb. A Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So right from the beginning, when the angel comes to her, she's already told he has a divine purpose. And his divine purpose is to be a deliverer. But there are some conditions to him being what God wants him to be. First, you got to live a certain way. All right? And then he's got to live a certain way from the moment he's born. He's got to live a certain way. And so the revelation of his birth comes directly to the parents. All right? This is a boy they're going to have. They, all got to, they got to be overjoyed because she's been barren, and the first child she's going to have, the angel has already said, Tyrone, it's going to be a boy. Not only is it going to be a boy, and boys at that time were valued more than girls because they could carry on the family name, they could own property, the whole lot of cultural things. Uh, their labor was more valuable. This is simply how it was in their society at that time, and unfortunately, sometimes we think that way today, I think. And they're not as expensive as girls because when a girl married at the time, the family had to come up with a dowry. And so a poor family would still be responsible for coming up with a collection of items that they could also give with her when she's married to honor the marriage. And so, you know, not only am I losing help around the farm, I'm having to send one of the cows over there with her. Hard. That's why there's some practical reasons why boys were more valuable at that time than girls. But this guy who was going to be born, this baby who was going to be born, came at a time when Israel was in its cycle of rebellion. Cycle was this sin, then God allows them to go into servitude to the ones who are who are who they are who are their enemies. And they go into a period after that of sorrow. Oh, woe is us. Forgive us, Lord. And then there's salvation. So there's sin, then servitude, then sorrow, then salvation. That's a, that's a cycle that kept repeating itself throughout, throughout the judges. Throughout the judges. Seven times this cycle happened. Seven times. All right? The nature of the Philistine occupation was heavy on them. They didn't kill them, they didn't slay them, but they were hostile. They were pervasive. They were in the land. And they, I told you, they, they, they outdistanced them by technology. They knew iron, how to make iron. And by intermarriage, they co-mingled with them. All right, it's hard to get rid of your brother-in-law, hard to get rid of your sister-in-law. So they married them. So that diminished the Israelites. Remember God said, don't marry them. They didn't do it. So God allowed them to become the stumbling block for the Israelites because they didn't listen. 
And then they were told, but here comes someone who's going to deliver you. They're, they're ecstatic and scared because the message only comes to a woman. So now tell me what you think. Manoah out in the field working, and all of a sudden his wife comes, runs up to him and says, hey, hey, an angel came to me today and said we're going to have a boy, and he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to be a gift from God. How do you think Manoah responds to that? He doesn't. Well, because he's like, Woman, what? What? Is my mudding ready? I mean, I mean, he, he is not hearing this very practically, Willie. He wants to know what you're talking about. And so the Lord doubles down on that, and guess what he does? He comes back to double down. He comes back, and he visits her again. And when he does, she says, can you wait right here, literally? And she runs and gets her husband and brings her husband so he too can hear what the angel says. The angel repeats his directions and conditions that she has to be holy during her pregnancy. In other words, watch this now because I, I think this is so important. Her womb is barren, all right, but it's got to be holy. All right, which means she can't do any of the things that God finds distasteful in a Nazarite way, which means she can't drink or eat fruit of the vine while she's pregnant. Why? Because the baby has got to have these qualities all its life. Somebody needs to walk with me on this. And the environment that you bring the baby here in matters. And so you can't have an unholy womb and put a holy baby in it. You, you can't do that. And so the vows that are going to be required of Samson, mama's got to start living that before the baby can come. Because as, as soon as the baby gets here, he has to be a Nazarite from birth. Nazarite, three things he's got to do. First, he can never eat or he can never eat grapes or drink wine. Can't drink grape juice. Can't anything dealing with the fruit of the vine, he cannot have his whole life. He can never cut his hair. That's an important reason for that. And it's different than you might think. We always say it's a source of strength. But why the hair? And he can never be around any unclean thing, it's particularly any dead bodies. His whole life. I message next time. We're going to talk about those conditions, but the hair, why? The hair is a sign of self-debasement. Of self In other words, he is not cutting his hair, which would be looked down upon on that society. By not cutting his hair, that's not something that was favorable at that time. And so wearing it in the way he wore it, would have been a sign of self, he's, he's subjecting himself to humiliation for the Lord. All right, that's the Nazarite way. In other words, I am imposing humiliation on myself as an act of sacrifice to the Lord. And so everybody will know when they see me that I'm doing this for the Lord. All right. That was why he didn't cut his hair. 
Okay? Now, we know later that it's not the hair itself that's the source of his strength. Hear me. It's his faith that allows him to debase himself that becomes the source of his strength. Ain't no, ain't no, you know, the strands of hair are just what they are. But it's the faith that goes with that that makes it. So here we are. It's a revelation of his birth. Mama's got to be holy. Baby's got to come here in a holy way. Because Psalms tells us that children are a heritage and a blessing from the Lord. A heritage and a blessing from the Lord. We are dealing now, 20 years later, with a generation of children whose parents didn't take care of themselves well. Criminologically, we call them, and inappropriately, crack babies. All right? Mamas had these problems, and they had children. Now, the children have learning deficiencies. They have a lot of problems, all right, that come from that period of time when parents were struggling. So now I want you to put that into the context of understanding why the angel told Woman Noah that she had to have a holy womb. Because the environment for the child has got to be right. Y'all need to hear me on this now. How mama lives is crucial to how baby is. It's crucial. Mama has got to set a good environment. Daddy too, now don't get me wrong. I believe in equality in that respect. But the mama has such a unique bond with the child that we know, we know that if a woman has a child and is nursing that baby, when she nurses that baby, she got to watch what she eats. Because what she eats actually gets transported directly to the baby. And so forget all these clubs out there about, you know, women expecting and they have, you know, wine every day. Because that's what's popular online. You know, you can have a drink. Well, think about that and how that affects your baby. And I ain't no scientist, but if what goes in you affects the baby, then that creates problems down the road for the child. And I, I'm not just going to stop on that. It can be anything, not just things that, you know, alcohol. It can be the food you eat. An unhealthy diet ultimately affects the child. And children come here predisposed to having health problems because of the environment they came on. And so all the angel was doing was saying, let's set the environment. This thing about a Nazarite vow, it wasn't completely unusual for some Jewish people to take a Nazarite vow for a period of time. The amazing thing about this, Sharon, is that this baby was going to be a Nazarite all his life. All his life. Not just for a period of time, but from birth. So now, let's talk practically about this. How different does that make Samson from the other children? How does he have to live? Because all the other kids playing out in the field, 
They can eat olives and grapes and everything. Samson can't have any of that from a child. How hard is it to tell a child who's lactose intolerant he can't have ice cream when all the other kids are having ice cream? I'm talking practically here. The ice cream truck comes. No, you can't go, baby. You, you can't go get no ice cream because you can't have that. Yeah, you got to tell him that all his life. Now put other things into the context that he couldn't participate in simply because it was part of something that was unseen now. It was unseen. A vow is unseen. A vow is unseen. And so nobody can tell that you got these problems, that you made this vow to the Lord, but that's how you have to make so that's how you have to raise a Samson, which means that Samson had to come up different. And he did, despite the fact that he had to make these vows and his parents made these vows, he still had to come up uh, in a healthy and nurturing environment. Nazarite means what? Different, separated. That's all it means. And he epitomized that. He epitomized that. Um, it was an act of faith for him to continue living like that after he was raised. And then he had to know not only that he was born special, he had to know that he had a responsibility. Teaching children that they have a responsibility is important. How do you teach a child that they have responsibility? You give them responsibility. You start early on with little bitty things that they are responsible for. You, the puppy they want, you're going to take care of that puppy. You, you're going to take care of the puppy. You wanted him, you're going to feed him, make sure he gets what he's supposed to do. If he doesn't eat, it's because you didn't feed. I'm going to make sure the food is here for him, but you got to make sure that every day, rough, rough, get what he needs. How many of y'all know that that's a hard job, and most of y'all know it because y'all ended up feeding rough, rough. Rough, rough, looking at you, crying. You just gonna leave me here? You eating pork chops? And... You have to teach children responsibility. Make up your bed. When you get out your bed, make up your bed. Straighten up your room. Increasing responsibility. If you know your child is there to be a deliverer of the world. What kind of responsibility do you start out with as a child to get them prepared to do the hard work they have to do? I'm not going to read it in scripture. The angel told the woman that he was going to be a deliverer. But if you read the scripture, chapter 13, you won't see that she told Manoah. And she never repeated it. The angel never repeated it again. Now, in scripture, this is, the, this is a pre, this is Christ coming in human form who gives this commission. That's what scripture refers to. But he never says again that he's going to be a deliverer at this point. Why? What happens to your child if they grow up knowing they are the deliverer? And you tell people in the community, my child is the deliverer. Kids, folk don't even want your child to be the valedictorian of the class. They start trying to take them down from that. From that pedestal, they, they, they don't want two south, they don't want two valedictorians. It can't be two kids that got 4.0 GPAs. 
can't be but one. They need to de- they need to define it a little bit more. You the main one. Kid, people want what they want for their children. And you make your child a target when you start telling everybody he's special. He got something that God wants him to do. It's not what I heard. This is over and over again in Scripture. Even Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't go along with his mission. They, didn't, they knew he was different. They knew he was special. But they didn't know how special he was at that point. But here, this boy is never cutting his hair. Everybody else, he looks different. He acts different from them. And he starts out with the greatest of promise. You can't imagine that there's anything that he needed that he wasn't being given because of his parents. He starts out life with the greatest of promise. And so I want you to know, you can give your child everything, but if they don't grow up with the right sense, then they're going to struggle all their lives. Samson's parents were given a responsibility to raise him in the proper environment. So too have we. But at a certain point, the responsibility shifts from the parents to the child. And the determination has to be made by the child at that point, or the young adult, that I'm going to continue living by the ways that brought me over. Here we go with the problem. When that time shifts, sticking to it is going to be problematic. We're going to preach about Samson's decision making in our next message because I got to tell you, the parents did their part. The parents raised him in the right environment. They gave him everything that he could need to be successful in life. And I came to tell you, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's the choices you make, and at a certain point in time, you can't look back and blame mom and dad for the choices you make. You got to be able to take responsibility, that's that word, for your own choices. Samson set up to not only be a blessing for Israel, he set up to be a blessing to his family and his family name. The question is, do you realize that? Mamas and daddies, I came to relieve you of some burden today. If you did what God told you to do, Celebrate what God allowed you to do. Stop taking the pressure on yourself for the decisions that Junior's making. Stop, stop making yourself sick with worry on whether you did enough. Stop doing that because Junior's got to make a decision himself. He got to take charge of his own choices. The Lord wanted Jesus to do an amazing thing. He wanted him to come down here and save everybody. Only problem is the vehicle that he sent him in, Sister Hall, was through a a woman who had to raise him like she raised all the rest of her children. How do you stay special in the middle of average. He couldn't tell his brothers and sisters he was special. They wouldn't tolerate that. But how many of y'all know he was special? And he chose to stay special all his life. He chose to be the difference. And the Lord blessed him. It didn't mean that it was always easy for him. And you and I both know, in the end, he was completely rejected by men. 
But oh, what a blessing he was for us. All because he was at all points tempted and yet without sin. Nobody told him that the road would be easy. Nobody told him that. But he stayed the course. He taught. He delivered on the promise that God had given and placed into him. And I'm grateful today that Jesus didn't think it robbery to come here and live for me, die for me. Because of those choices, the Lord resurrected him for me. He's my Savior. He's our Savior. The question is, is he your Savior? I'm extending an invitation.